session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Halakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I start with the book of the week from this past week, let me announce the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show. It is Advice Not Given by Mark Epstein. Advice Not Given, A Guide to Getting Over Yourself. I forgot the name of the book of his I did last year. I actually wanted to look it up before tonight. But anyway, um, this is his book about helping us getting to get over ourselves. Advice Not Given by Mark Epstein. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week. But the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is one that I had heard about so many times. Um, And in that way, it's a classic, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements. Um, I'd heard so much about this book, and so many people have told me about it and share different pieces of wisdom from it and say how it affected their lives. So um, I'm glad I got to finally read it. I must say, I think maybe my expectations were so high, which is funny because one of the agreements is don't make assumptions, but maybe that was my assumption going in that it was going to be so almost life-changing that maybe I didn't get that experience, but I did enjoy the book, and I think um, the four agreements themselves make a lot of sense and are very great practical advice for people to use in their life, and he also had lots of other insights in there that I'll talk about as well. Um, But the four agreements, so this idea that we, without realizing it, there's all these agreements that we make with the world or the world gives to us through family and society and culture and that kids learn. And then once we learn them, they become ingrained in us and we don't even realize they are there. They can be agreements about people in the world, lots of agreements about my ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm ugly. I'm this, I'm that. Uh, and other things that we think are really just truths that we take as a given. And we don't realize even that we are doing that. Um, And he had a couple insights before he gets to the four agreements that I thought were really interesting. One was, he said that we are the only animals that pay for the same mistake more than once. And I thought that was really interesting, uh, that we as humans, we make a mistake, and we might pay some price for that mistake. And that makes sense. But then unfortunately, what we'll do is we'll keep punishing ourselves for that same mistake in different ways either by continuing to beat ourselves up, by not forgiving ourselves, by continuing to make that same mistake in a different way. That could be the same thing. But I thought it was really interesting, this idea um, that we're the only animals that pay for the same mistake more than once. We have such a hard time uh, getting over those things, forgiving, and even not just same mistake, but as I'm saying that, the same pain. Someone can hurt us 
someone could say something, do something, and we can keep bringing that issue up or thinking about that thing over and over again. Now, I'm all about uh, experiencing your feelings and the pain that comes with things that happen to us, but very often we'll stay stuck. Um, one of my dad's analogies of people get stabbed and they keep the knife in and walk around showing that stab rather than taking the knife out and healing. And so often we'll let ourselves pay the price for our own mistakes and for other people's mistakes more than once and keep letting it uh, hurt us. Uh, another thing I thought was interesting, he, he said, the limit of your self-abuse is exactly the limit that you will tolerate from someone else. So the limit of your self-abuse, how much you will allow yourself to be bad to yourself, mean to yourself, hard to yourself, hurt yourself, is what you will tolerate tolerate from someone else. And I think that does make sense in that when we enter a relationship or in our relationships, we'll accept what we think we deserve or what we're okay to tolerate. And if we're hard on ourselves, harsh with ourselves, not kind to ourselves, we'll accept that same thing from others. So if you notice that you are in relationships where people treat you poorly, it's very likely that you at some level are okay treating yourself poorly as well. And beneath that, we see that you likely are lacking in your self-esteem or how you feel about yourself, the love you have for yourself and what you feel like you deserve and also what you feel like you don't deserve. So I thought that was very interesting. Throughout the book, he also talks about different, what you maybe can call parts of ourselves, the victim and the judge. So the victim is that part of us that can get stuck in the negative feeling or the negative things or hold on to them in a way that holds us back. And then the judge is the ways, as it might sound, we judge ourselves or others. And we can keep punishing ourselves, putting ourselves down, but also putting other people down as well. Um, but so getting into the four agreements that he's saying that if you adopt these four, you will enter, uh, you'll leave the dream of what has been given to you from the world and enter a new dream and in a way enter what he calls sometimes heaven. Um, let's get into those four agreements. So the first one is to be impeccable with your word. And I'd heard people mention this a lot, and I always thought they meant just integrity, as in, if you say something, stick to it. And there is that part for sure that he talks about. Um, but he gets into also how the ways we use our words to ourselves and to others can be very impactful. So he says um, that the word is the most powerful tool you have as a human. It is a the tool of magic, but like a sword with two edges, your word can create the most beautiful dream or your word can destroy everything around you. One edge is the misuse of the word which creates a living hell. The other edge is the impeccability of the word which will only create beauty, love, and heaven on earth. So um, that our words are so powerful, which I think is very important. And even not just the words we say, which of course are very powerful, um, but even the words we say to ourselves without knowing it, we're constantly talking to ourselves within our head, judging ourselves. Why did you do that? That was stupid. That was this. That was that. You shouldn't do this. Why do you keep worrying about that? Why do you keep having this issue or judging other people in our heads? And those um, words have a great impact. So to me, words is more than just the actual things that come out of our mouths, but the thoughts in a way that come with them. But also in our relationships, the words we use are so important, uh, how we communicate to one another. That itself can be like a sword or like a balm. It can make someone feel good, be healing, be loving, 
or it can hurt them, damage them and hurt our relationships. Uh, Working with couples, you see this so much that the words they use can be so harmful, so hurtful, they can even cause permanent damage to a relationship. They're that toxic. And that's why I like the analogy um, of you can't take back a bullet and imagine your words like they can be like a bullet in a gun. And once it leaves the barrel, you can't take it back. And whatever damage it's going to do, it's going to do. That's out of your hands. So we want to be very careful and mindful of the words we use and especially of the words we don't use or don't want to use. Because once you start using those words with people around you, um, first of all, it already has this negative effect, but on top of that, it starts to become part of the way you communicate and you constantly start to hurt each other with those words. So we want to be, as he puts it, impeccable with your word. Be very careful of the words we use, both in talking to ourselves and in those uh, around you as well. Because uh, in a relationship, you see this, how you create this love, and because of that, you get so close to each other that the words your partner tells you can have such a big impact, both for good and for bad. And we want to be aware of those words that we use. Now, interestingly, I just said that this big impact our words can have on others, but the second agreement is to don't take things personally or don't take anything personally, which would mean even from your partner. Um, I think a lot of these agreements, although they're very true, one side of it is that it's easier said than done, and it's not so black and white. Because if we don't take anything personally, yes, in the way that we realize that almost everything that people do or say is more about them than you. Someone gets very angry at you, it's possible you did something wrong and you should pay attention, but especially the way they express it has a lot more to do about them than you. But the reason why I say, if we say don't take anything personally, but that would also mean when someone gives you love, don't take it in because you're saying it's about them, not you. So I do think I'm very much um, a firm believer that we have to make sure we don't take things personally and have that mindset. But of course, as human beings, we interact and we're going to affect one another. So really we're saying maybe be less affected. And I think that makes sense. Don't get so affected by the compliment and don't get so affected by the insult either way. Don't take it in too much or make it mean too much to you. Recognize that almost everything that people are saying, even about you, is going to be more about them than you. People are projecting onto you. They maybe have an ulterior motive or something else is going on, but it's a lot less about you. But at the same time, again, we want to hear people. If 10 different people close to you in your life say you're a very angry person, I think it's irresponsible to say, well, I don't want to take anything personally. That's all about them. You want to pay attention to what thing, the things that people are saying. But it is important to not take things personally because most of the time it has to do with them. Um, and he even has a, a line in that chapter where he says, all the sadness and drama you have lived in your life was rooted in making assumptions and taking things personally. Um, so because of things we assumed about what's happened or what's going to happen, that's almost all the sadness and drama and things that we experience come from that. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's why it's so important to not take things personally. And it makes it so much easier to just go through the world when you feel that way. But if you take everything personally, you're going to have a really time, hard time functioning in your relationships and also just in life and career, because you're going to get a lot of different feedback a lot of it negative, a lot of it won't feel very good. But if you realize it's not about you, it's about them, and not take it personally, you'll be uh, doing a lot better and be able to move through the world a lot 
more happily and easily. The third agreement is don't make assumptions. And this is another big one because our minds automatically make assumptions. So really you have to be very conscious about this because it's hard not to make an assumption. Something happens and we draw lots of conclusions based on incomplete information. That's really how our mind works. In a lot of ways it serves us right. To be honest, we have to make some assumptions because we won't always get all the information. But we see, especially in our relationships, we make a lot of assumptions. You said this because you feel this about me or that or whatever it is. Or you did this because of this. And really, we don't know. Our assumptions, again, and this is why we shouldn't take things personally, because when we assume something about what someone else did, it's usually more about us than them. So when that person hears it, they should realize that, that our assumptions are coming from that person's interpretation, not really from us. But it's hard to tease that apart in the moment. But so we don't want to make assumptions. And to me, that's why we have to be even more explicit in how we communicate. Don't assume your partner can read your mind. That's something a lot of people do. They say, well, she should have known I was upset or he should have known why I was angry. It's usually not as clear as you think. So we also have to help our partners and help each other by communicating clearly what's going on for us, what's not going on for us, so we don't leave as much room for them to have to make assumptions. But we also want to make sure we don't make assumptions and ask. Ask your partner, ask your friends, ask your loved ones, are you feeling this way or is this happening? Don't tell them things. You see it happen a lot. People say, this is what you are feeling or this is what you are doing or you shouldn't have done this or you should have done this. But we don't really know what's going on for them. So we don't want to make assumptions about what other people are feeling or doing. We want to communicate and ask and try to understand them better. And the fourth agreement, uh, and they all tie in together, but the fourth one is to always do your best. And with always do your best, there's also this idea that if you're doing your best, you should also be kinder to yourself and understand you were doing your best. If you did got a B plus or a B minus or C, you did your best, or at least let's hope you did your best. And as long as you do your best, you can feel pretty good about it. But if we don't do our best, then you're not going to feel good about what you're doing. And you won't feel very good about yourself because you know you could have done more. As long as you do your best, you can do the best of your ability, and that's all you can do. And so we want to try to maintain that in everything we're doing. Everything we do, and, and even in a way he expresses it, it's kind of like mindfulness. Like even if you're showering, take it all in. Do it in the best way. Be very intentional with it, which I think is so important because most of us are going through life not experiencing our experiences, or at least not fully experiencing them. We go through the motions, we're doing something, but we're not fully there because we're not present. We're not with what's happening. So that's also a part of doing your best is in every action that we do. Don't just think some things are important. I should try hard there. Try hard in everything that you're doing. Make it an intention to do everything uh, to the fullest. Um, so in this book, Don Miguel Ruiz, he shares these four agreements that he says if we adopt into ourselves and internalize and live ourselves our lives by these four agreements, we will be in a state of what he at times calls heaven or um, this really good place. Maybe you can call it nirvana and Buddhist traditions or other words. Um, might, other cultures or religions might have other words for it, but to him that's where you want to get to. So there was um, a lot in this book. At times, the writing to me got a little bit uh, hard to stay with, if that makes sense, that I wasn't always able to get a lot of a lot out of some of what he was saying, but maybe that was just, it is vague and a little bit poetic, so 
maybe I was missing it or maybe it wasn't landing for me. But overall, I liked the agreements themselves and the messages that were in the book, those four agreements of um, be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions and always do your best. I think those are four great pieces of advice for all of us to try to internalize into our lives. So uh, I especially like those agreements and there was a lot of wisdom in the book and it's a short one. So if you haven't read it already, highly recommend you check this one out. The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And again, the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about next Monday is Advice Not Given, A Guide to Getting Over Yourself by Mark Epstein. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. back. So on my Instagram page, uh, I sometimes will post asking for suggestions for topics before the show. And I got a couple today already. So thank you to all of those who submitted. But interestingly, two people and actually right after each other, they both talked about or asked about comparing. So um, Humanities Freak and Atusa Azizi both asked about comparing socially in some way. And so maybe that's a good one to talk about since two people asked about it. Um, social comparison. And it's something that's so hard not to do. And I was talking about the four agreements in the previous segment, which I thought were very good things to live by, but they are easier said than done. And that would be the same as comparison. Or people will say, don't compare yourself to anyone. Great advice, but it's not so easy to do. And of course, we start to learn about comparison from a very young age. And I think most kids or even babies, when you see them, they don't really have that or they don't live too much by social comparison. I think they'll see it. They'll notice if something is unfair. If you give one kid two treats and give them one, they'll compare that and that will feel unfair. But something that kids have that adults don't have or something they're good at that we tend to struggle with and try to almost relearn or in a way unlearn the things that we have learned is that kids are very much more mindful. And I was mentioning before the break, experiencing our experiences, they're living their life and not really so focused on others most of the time. So if they're having fun and enjoying it, you don't see a kid who's too thinking, is my dancing good right now to this music or do other kids dance better than me or more than me? They're just enjoying the music and dancing. They're having a great time enjoying themselves. They're not focused on other people and comparing themselves to someone else. It's much more about what their own experience is. Um, but I think we start to teach our kids more and more about comparison because that's how we tend to live in this world, that we get so focused on comparisons and uh, grades and salaries and who has what and who doesn't have what and status and all these other things. And our parents teach us from a young age that we should care about those things. And in Iranian families, unfortunately, we're very big on this because I think a lot of it comes down to this idea that there is a right way to be, or in a way there's one, one right way to be and to be successful or to be this or to be that, or look a certain way, especially in our culture is something that we put too much value on. We make it too important because when we think you have to be a certain way, then parents 
think that one of their big roles is to make sure my kid becomes that way. You need to be this way, not that way. You shouldn't do too much of this. You shouldn't do too much of that. You have to do a little bit of this. Whatever it is, we think we know this recipe of being a good person, being a right person, being living the right way, and that's what we do. And that's some of you in what culture is. Culture deals with, of course, things like food and music, and even you can include language. But culture also includes this idea of right and wrong, a right or wrong way of living. What is a woman supposed to be like? What is a man supposed to be like? What should a woman do and what shouldn't she do? And what should a man do and not do? What's the role of a husband and a father, wife, mother? How should we act with one another? What's the right way of greeting each other? Even all these types of things um, become important. What's embarrassing or not embarrassing? Is it okay to talk about being upset or having negative feelings? Or no, that's very bad. You should always be okay. You should always be strong. You shouldn't have emotional issues. You should have physical issues. That's okay, but not emotional ones. That's something you also see in the Persian culture. So we think we know this right way of living. And because of that, we try to make our kids become that. And so we compare them with others and to this standard. So if we think, okay, good grades, you have to get good grades to be good, to be happy, to be successful, to make our, us look good, to make you look good. We say, look at that kid over there who's getting better grades than you, because we think that's going to motivate them to become better. And we think our job is to make them become something, become that thing that we think is right. When unfortunately, it doesn't help them at all, and it's going to make them feel like they are not enough. And so what we hopefully can do, and we want to do, and you can do this really at any age, but especially as parents with your kids, is to try to see each individual as an individual, as them and themselves, and see who they are. And the analogy I use for parents with their kids is oftentimes parents think that their kid is supposed to look a certain way, become a certain thing. And so, like, if we have the kid be a plant or a seed, we think that that child as the seed, we know what they're supposed to look like. And so we try to push the plant in different ways while it's growing, cut off certain parts we don't think are good, stretch parts we think are good, color it a certain way, whatever we think it is, because we think we know what it's supposed to become. But what we should realize is when you're given that seed, you don't know what that seed is going to become. But all you are supposed to do as a parent is to love that seed, give it the right environment, the circumstances that it needs to grow fully into what he or she is supposed to become. If it's a green plant, a red flower, whatever it might be, you aren't supposed to get in the way of it. You're also not supposed to make it something. You have to just love it and give it what it needs to grow the best that it can. And if we can have that mindset that my job isn't to make my kid into something, my job is to have my child reach his or her full potential to express their beauty and their goodness, whatever that might be. That's a very different mindset that I have to make my kid a good student and this type of student and this type of person and that type of person and make sure he doesn't do this and make sure she does do this. That's a very different mindset. And I'm not going to compare my kids to other kids, not especially not in my own family, but other kids outside, because my child is supposed to become the best version of him or herself. That's what we are supposed to try to be. And each of us hopefully are still trying to be the best version of us. Keep growing every day as a person to be the best we can be, but love and accept ourselves as we are. And I would wish parents could give their kids that feeling that 
this is who you are and I love you and I respect you as an individual. And also make it very clear by this, I don't mean that no matter what your kid ever does, you say it was good and great and perfect and nothing you did was wrong. Absolutely not. We still have to give them boundaries and structure and be aware of teaching them things that are good for them that will help them grow, not tell them they should be this or shouldn't be that, but they need to get enough rest. So I'm not saying let your child sleep whenever they want or as little as they want. You are aware of that and you help them realize that this can be helpful in helping them grow and develop. That's part of giving that plant the right environment to grow. We do that. Um, another issue related to this is when we talk about comparison, when we do anything with the brain or anything we start to think about or do often, it becomes easier for us to do that. It happens more naturally. And this is why when people will talk about gratitude, which is a wonderful thing, sometimes people think, you know what, when I want to be grateful, what I do is I think of the people that don't have as much and it makes me feel grateful. You know what, I wish I had more money, but then I think of people who are so much poorer than me and I think, oh, I'm so lucky, I should never complain. But unfortunately, what that does is even if in this instance we feel good because we're comparing down, so to speak, and we feel better about ourselves, it's reinforcing the idea of comparison that I should compare myself to others. So in that instance, you might compare yourself to someone who has less than you, but if your mind is focused in that way, then you're soon enough going to find someone who has more than you, and that's going to make you very down and depressed and not feel so good. So comparison is not a way of making someone feel better. Even with your kids, oh, you're so much smarter than other kids. You're so much more beautiful than other kids, which is sometimes what we do. We might not say it in that way, but we talk about how beautiful they are, and we compare them in that way to other people. That's not going to help your child in the long run, even if it feels good in that moment. You want to see your child for who they are. And this is even why we don't want to just say everything they're doing is great and perfect because you don't feel seen if someone says that to you. If you're an artist and someone has the exact same reaction to every painting, even if it's good, wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. In a way, it'll feel nice that it's so positive, but you might not feel like they're genuinely seeing what you're doing and who you are because they're just saying the same thing, even if it's positive. And maybe you realize, you know, in this one, I don't feel like it was my best work. So you might even feel better or more seen if someone says, you know what? I don't know. This one doesn't seem like it's actually your best. Something seems a little bit off. I don't feel the same thing. Even though that's slightly more negative than, wow, that's amazing. It'll feel good that you think this person actually sees me. This person actually knows what I am doing and sees who I am. Or even let's say it's how we look. It feels nice for someone to say, you look so nice today. But if you know you really aren't looking great, maybe they'll say it in a kinder way, but they might say you don't look so nice. But on another day when you look really good and like, wow, you look amazing, you'll really feel it because you're like, yeah, they see me. And when I don't look so good, they recognize it. When I'm looking better, they notice that too. We're actually being seen. So with your kids, you want to do that also. Not just think, well, if it's positive, I should tell them the positive things. Because sometimes those positive things when they're not genuine don't feel very good. So your job as a parent isn't to make your child become something or tell them not to be something, but it's to see them for who they are and love them for who they are. You do this and I love you. This is what you do. That was really nice. And you did that this other day and I really enjoyed that. Or you're very good at art and I've seen your paintings and they're really good. Or whatever it might be, but make your child be seen. 
don't just blanket them with compliments that don't really relate to them. And of course, don't insult them, but don't think that as long as I'm saying something positive, that has to be something good. We want to help our child love themselves for who they are and feel okay for who they are. And within that, there's this idea that we should hopefully all have that every person has some value, that we value everyone for being themselves. And in that inherent value, we don't put people over each other. Yes, people could be taller or this or more that or better at some skill or other skill, but having an inherent value, everyone is equal. And because of that, everyone has equal rights and should be treated fairly and treated with respect. Doesn't mean everyone has to be treated the same because different things require us to do different things. Just like if someone needs glasses, we don't say, well, now everyone in the class has to get glasses because this one kid needs glasses and we want to treat everyone the same. Or take that more extreme, if one kid is choking, we don't do the Heimlich maneuver on all the kids to make sure all the kids feel like they're getting treated the same. We do it on the one who's choking and meet that need, but we don't do that with everyone. But we don't have to treat everyone exactly the same because, again, different things will ask different things of us, but everyone's value should be the same. So when you look at your child, they have value because they are just this human being, this beautiful baby that you've been given, and you love that child for being who he or she is. And hopefully you can give them that, but most of us didn't get that completely. But hopefully we can give that to ourselves. And that's really what we're asked to do as we get older too. When we talk about self-compassion and self-love, it doesn't mean that I see myself and people say, I'm a king, I'm a goddess, I'm a queen, I'm a this, and kind of exaggerate themselves and think that to love yourself means you have to put yourself on a pedestal and say, no matter what I did was okay, or whatever I'm doing, it's good. And if I hurt someone, they deserved it, or whatever extreme we go to try to get away from some bad feelings that we have, that's not genuine self-love. Self-love is actually to see ourselves and to love ourselves. Before you love something, you have to know it. And sometimes we try to love someone or something or even ourselves without knowing it, and that's not possible. So we have to get to know ourselves, see the good, the bad, the ugly, strengths, weaknesses, flaws, whatever it might be, but recognize that we're worthy of love however we are and whoever we are, and try to become the best version of ourselves. And I understand it's easier said than done, and it's not something that you're going to never do again, even if you try to have this mindset to look at just yourself and make the best of yourself rather than comparing yourself with other people. You are not supposed to be someone else. You're not supposed to be as good as someone else in anything. You're supposed to be the best version of you. So we, we want to try to stop ourselves with the social comparison. And um, I'm actually at the end of the segment, so I'll probably wrap it up here. But a big part of social comparison that now is being exaggerated is through social media, where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people that we see online and not really who they are, but their online selves, online selves we compare to our real selves. And of course, we're always going to be disappointed with that. And so maybe after the break, I'll continue with this idea of how social media can play a huge part in social comparison and how we can be mindful of not letting it affect us so much. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the last segment, I was talking about social comparison. It was asked by two people on my Instagram page. 
um, and how we can try not to do that, which I was talking first about um, how parents can help their kids because kids themselves are less focused on comparing and more focused on living their own life. And hopefully we can try to bring that back to ourselves, unlearn what we have been learned or the book that I talked about tonight, The Four Agreements, these agreements that we've made and conclusions that we make or ways of living that we think are the only way to live, realize that's not what's going to make us happy or what feels good. And at the end of the segment, I talked about how social media, unfortunately, is making it a lot harder not to compare or really promotes comparing ourselves. And unfortunately, what it does is you live your life and you compare yourself to the curated and um, filtered and photoshopped versions of other people's lives. And of course, you're going to feel disappointed. Or we even see this in romantic relationships. You look at people's pictures online and it looks so romantic and sweet and it's a picture in front of this romantic place and they're smiling and looking good. And then you look at your own relationship and you're like, gosh, we just had this horrible fight and I don't feel so good about it. And so you can do more social comparison, not just of yourself, but even of your relationship. But that's not an accurate representation of a whole relationship. That's just snapshots um, that make it look very good. Short little videos, cute things that they're going to post. I always joke, uh, sometimes people will hear that a couple broke up. I'm like, really? They looked so happy online. And they're never going to post a picture in the middle of a fight. So don't think you're going to see those sides of the relationship or the unhappiness or the things that were coming up. No one takes a selfie mid-fight or takes a video of themselves having a nasty argument over dinner. They post the good stuff. And so that's what we see is the good stuff, the image that people want us to see. And when you compare that to your actual life, you're virtually always going to be disappointed. Now, an interesting um, dynamic or new development that some mental health professionals and also people who are in the cosmetic surgery field have seen as something they call Snapchat dysmorphia. Um, and so in this article I was reading, it said that, that Snapchat dysmorphia is the unofficial term for the effects that social media platforms and their simple to use filters can have on body image issues. So there's uh, body dysmorphia that some people have and this idea that they can be overly focused with parts of their body and sometimes obsessed with some aspect of their body that they think is just either disgusting or horrible. Even maybe they don't want to look at it, but they become obsessed with it. Um, and sometimes might even go to extreme measures of plastic surgery and repeated plastic surgery to try to change, for example, their nose or their tummy or something else that they don't feel good about. But now they're seeing that with these filters that we see in social media, people aren't just comparing themselves to other people. They're comparing themselves to these altered versions of themselves. And it was interesting in the article, uh, one of the doctors mentioned how they're used to people coming in uh, to the plastic surgery office and in their consultations with pictures of a celebrity. I want to have, I don't know, Angelina Jolie's lips or this person's cheekbones or this person's nose. But they're saying that now what's becoming more common is people coming in with pictures of themselves, but with a filter and saying, so I want to look like this, how I look in this Snapchat filter or this Instagram filter where my eyes look bigger or my lips look bigger or my cheeks look slimmer or whatever it might be. But these 
unrealistic and altered versions of themselves are now what they want to look like. So I want to look like this all the time, even when the filter is not on and I'm interacting with people, that's what I want to look like. And it's really interesting that uh, this article that I was reading because it was talking about the different issues that are coming up related to uh, social media and taking, for example, selfies that people before what we would see with people who had body dysmorphia disorder, they would maybe look at the mirror for hours a day and that would significantly interfere with their lives. But now people are spending sometimes hours a day taking selfies or at least looking at themselves in their camera and their phone, looking at for different lighting, different angles, what looks good, what they don't like and getting obsessed with that. And I think most people can relate to taking or thinking they're going to take a selfie to send to someone, but taking 30, 40 selfies to try to get the one they feel like they look good in and then adding filters and doing a little Photoshop and doing things here and there, then sending it to someone or then posting it. Um, but people are really becoming obsessed with these selfies. And not only that, they're trying to get plastic surgery, not necessarily that's going to look good all the time, but that will look good in a selfie because it's becoming such a big part of people's lives and a big part of people's social lives that they want to be able to take a good selfie and post it and then get the attention from that that they're looking for. And so they're even asking plastic surgeons sometimes to make them look in a certain way that actually might not look good every day and from various angles, but looks very good in a certain angle or looks good in their phone or their camera. So I, I really get um, frustrated by this and even just how much people are, are on their phones, and you can't see me right now, but I'm looking at the article on my phone, so I realize it's kind of ironic for me to complain about that as I'm looking at something on my phone. Um, but even last night, me and my cousin Pega, we went to the Lakers game and had a good time, and you'd look around and you see so many people are taking pictures and videotaping things and so focused on that part of things that they're not experiencing it themselves. So I know it's like starting on social comparison, but um, to me, this is really another significant impact of what we're seeing with social media, that people are, are so focused on sharing their experience that they don't experience it as much themselves. And I had this thought the, the other day, and I wrote this down, uh, in today's di digital age, everyone is experiencing everyone else's experiences more, but is experiencing their own experiences less. So everyone is experiencing everyone else's experiences more, but is experiencing their own experiences less. Meaning that by now you can go online and look at hundreds of your friends and what they did and what they're going through today, or celebrities that you will never get to see their experience usually, but now you can see their day-to-day -day lives and people love doing that. And so you can experience other people's experiences way more than you used to but you're experiencing your own experience less because you're trying to capture it for other people. People are hanging out at lunch and they're taking a little video looking at it and they check the video again and like, oh, that wasn't so good, let's do it again. And then they do that and they adjust it and they edit it so they can share it with other people. But they're not experiencing that lunch with their friends as deeply as they would have before had it not been for this idea of sharing that experience with other people. So we're living our own lives a lot less but also living the lives of other people much more than we used to do. And I think this is not a good thing and not a movement in the right direction. Rather than really being mindful and experiencing things ourselves, we are focused on sharing it with other people. And you see this where people will go somewhere and a big part of what they're 
feeling and thinking is this is going to look good on my social media. So I'm at this cool concert at this cool venue or at this place or whatever it might be. And I want to share it on social media more than enjoy the experience themselves because this social capital is so important and so meaningful that we know that that's more important than, or we make it more important than what we'll experience ourselves. Oh, that's, that's going to look really good. Or I've seen this happen myself and I'm sure you've seen it too, where people might be at a party or they're hanging out and it's okay. But then someone says, Hey, I'm going to make a video. And then now everyone acts like they're having a great time or it's really fun. Or as the younger generation might say, it's lit because they want to make it seem like we're having such a great time to give people FOMO, fear of missing out that our life is so good and so fun and we always have a good time, but really maybe they're not having that much fun. And so I'm sure many people have experienced being at a party or being at a gathering themselves and thinking, okay, it was not bad. It was okay. But then you ask other people and they think it was so good and so cool because the way that videos and pictures were posted made it seem like it was this fun, crazy night, but really maybe it wasn't that enjoyable at all. Or people go to concerts or games, like I was saying last night, and they're watching it through their phone rather than actually enjoying it themselves because they want other people to see what they were doing or what they went through. Or my kind of like one I really dislike that you see a lot is people go to concerts and they're not really watching the performer because they're making a video of themselves singing along, trying to look cute or funny or fun to then post it on social media and they're not even watching the actual concert. And it's like kind of funny to pay money, but it's a big part of what you're trying to get out of it is making people see how much fun you have and how fun your life is. So I think this isn't a movement in a good direction. I'm all about self-expression and people connecting themselves and, and all of that. But with social media, I think people are focusing so much more on how they're going to look to other people, this curated image of themselves that other people are going to then judge them by. And it's not really one, who they even are. And two, that's not something you can connect with others with or they can connect with you with. Your image on social media is not something that someone can have a relationship with. They can have it in their mind, and that's what a lot of people do. And they look at these social media influencers and other people, and they think they're having some kind of relationship or connection, but really it's not one with any depth or meaning. And the people you're going to connect with in real life, it's not about the social media relationship or image or person that you are. It's who you are when they, you interact with that person, with one another. So... When it comes to social comparison, bringing it back to the question that was initially asked by a few listeners tonight, we have to also be aware that we don't get caught up in the comparisons that people will make of us online. What are they going to think of me or who are they going to think I am or how cool are they going to think I am based on what my life looks like online? And as you can imagine, and I'm sure everyone gets this on a logical level, even if they don't live it, even if you have a great looking life online and people admire you and how you live your life online, it doesn't mean you're going to be any happier. Social media, uh, I've talked also about this analogy of uh, likes and follows are like the drugs of the digital age. They give you a little rush of good feeling. You post a picture and you get a lot of likes quickly and you feel kind of good for a moment, but that's very fleeting and it's going to go away. You're not going to feel very good for long. And guess what? Just like a drug, you might feel an urge again the next day or sometimes even that same day to post something again to get that high again, that good feeling that you might get by those momentary likes that you see on your phone. But it's not some type of lasting good feeling that's going to make you feel good about your life. 
So we want to make sure we're living our life, not for how it looks on social media, and also we're living our life more in the moment rather than trying to capture it all the time. I think it's nice that people are taking more pictures and videos, and of course things like FaceTime and things like that are great that we can use with our phone. But what I think is unfortunate is that people are living their own lives a lot less than they used to. We used to sit and talk and look at each other much more, and I know it's very cliche and people say that, but it's very true. We experience things very differently now than we used to because we are, one, we're in our phones a lot anyway to distract ourselves, but two, because we're so focused on capturing things to post them different places, we don't actually live the things we're doing. We're more focused on how it gets captured. So even if we don't have that much fun, but we get a perfect video to post online, a lot of people will be satisfied with that and they won't even focus on what they themselves experience. And I think that's very unfortunate. So living our lives in social comparison and how it all plays out, if we could focus more on what our experience is and not on how other people experience our experience and judge our experience, we'll be much happier. If you're not so worried about how your relationship looks online and more about how you feel in your relationship, that's a good way to go. And even you'll see people post things like relationship goals. And it's a cute picture of a couple or a short clip of a couple. And that's the goal. I think that's really a problem. Yes, it's nice to look cute and whatever is going on in the picture might seem nice. But genuine, deep connection and good relationships is not something that can be captured in a picture or a short video. That's another concern I have about social media and the effect it's having is that everyone is focused on looking good in a picture or short video where really there's no depth there. There's more personality or there's more image, but there isn't really depth of character or doing good things and the right things. And even people will post pictures of themselves doing something nice or community service, but sometimes the intention is to look like a good person than to actually be a good person. So my concern is that social media is making us a lot more shallow. We want our relationship to look good, and we're so focused on that that we might be less focused on if our relationship actually is good, is healthy, is strong, is making both of us happier, is making both partners become better people and bringing out the best in them. When it comes to our lives, we're not so focused. If we're happy and doing what we want, we're focused on how it's going to look to other people when we post what's going on in our lives. And that's really unfortunate. And that's definitely going to have negative consequences on how we live our lives and how our relationships play out. So your relationship goal shouldn't be something that can be posted in a picture as a relationship goal. Your relationship goal should be to be happy to be in a good relationship that makes you feel good. That's relationship goals to me, not some picture where you and your partner are in front of the Eiffel Tower and it's very romantic. That's nice too. But just be aware that nothing really of depth or value is going to be captured in a picture. So if you're seeking a good social media life, you're probably not seeking a good actual life with depth and meaning, living a fulfilling, content life. It's hard to show purpose and integrity in one picture or one video or other things um, that will make you feel good in the long term. So be mindful of how social media is affecting you, both in how you're judging yourself because you compare yourself constantly to other people. And again, compare your actual life with their photoshopped and curated life. That's one part. But also be aware of how social media is affecting how you live your life and are focused on what you're presenting of your life rather than focusing on living your life and experiencing your life 
itself. That to me is very, very important. So again, um, as I was saying a little bit before in today's digital age, everyone is experiencing everyone else's experiences more, but is experiencing their own experiences less. Make sure you're living your life out, focusing on what you're doing and what you're not doing because it feels good to, to you, makes you feel good and is good for your life rather than how it's going to make you look to other people. So a big thanks to, I think it was Humanities Freak and Atusa Azizi for their questions and everyone else who made suggestions for topics for the show tonight. I usually do that on Monday night's shows uh, if I get a chance uh, on my Instagram page. So please keep sending me those suggestions and also suggestions for the books. Always looking for more books to add to the list. And again, I'll announce this week's book of the week, Advice Not Given, A Guide to Getting Over Yourself by Mark Epstein. I'll be talking about that on next Monday's show. All right. Thank you to everyone who's listening out there and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.